The Hippie Hour is a holistic wellness podcast brought to you by me, Hannah, a 20-something interested in everything others might consider hippy-dippy. From astrology to crystals, plants to tarot cards, feminine energy to yoga and meditation, I'm here to help both you and I dig deeper into these topics. Because wellness is involved, and I am a current physical therapy student, I will be citing scientific evidence and credible sources a lot and busting alternative medicine pseudoscience. Always consult with your doctor first before deciding to implement any wellness changes. PSA, although essential oils are cool, they are not vaccines. If you are considering incorporating any topics talked about in this podcast into your own life, of course, do your own research as science is always changing and I'm definitely not an expert in these areas, just wholeheartedly interested. So let's learn more about becoming a hippie. Hey everyone, I'm back. I'm so excited to be back. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannah. Um, I started the Hippie Hour podcast back in March of 2020, so right when COVID hit. And I have been MIA from the podcast for about nine months. I just kind of took a break, I think is the right word. I lost touch with what I wanted to do with this platform and it kind of was just all over the place. It was, I mean, it's still good. It's the foundations of what the podcast is and will forever be. Um, But I didn't have an intention, intention, I mean, sorry, (laughs) Um, for what I wanted to talk about what I wanted to center it on. I kind of had an idea of holistic wellness in there, but I had talks with all sorts of different people on all sorts of different things. And I think I just lost some interest in it because there was a lack of that intention. And I was in therapy this week talking about how much I miss podcasting and how it was this baby that I had created and got so excited about at the beginning. And then I just really lost my sense of direction with it. And we talked about it a little bit and here I am, I'm starting over. I archived all of the previous episodes, so they're not deleted. You just don't have access to them anymore. And in the future, I might repost some of the archived original hippie hour podcast recordings. Um, But not sure. I mean, some of them are in line with this podcast's intention now. Um, I'll probably say intention about a hundred more times, I feel like. But I want to introduce this kind of rebranding of the hippie hour uh, before we get into the episode today. So Again, for those who maybe are listening for the first time and don't know who I am, my name is Hannah. I'm 24. I just turned 24 this year. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a current physical therapy student. I started my second year at the start of the summer, so I'm currently trucking through another year of didactic work, and I'm just super, super interested in holistic wellness. Uh, it's a it's a big, 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 broad area. And I think I couldn't find a podcast that met my needs for the things that I'm interested in when it comes to holistic wellness. So coming back to my own podcast, I go, why don't I just make a podcast that is what I want to listen to, you know, and almost kind of have a book report each week of different topics that I'm interested in that I want to share with you guys that kind of fall in that realm. So We're going to talk more about what holistic wellness actually is today, too. Um, But yeah, I I wanted to explain, too, why this is so interesting to me and why doing this little mini book report for you each week is so interesting to me. Because as a future, future physical therapist, I want to make sure that people understand the whole body, whole systems approach to things um, and using actual science and backed sources, backed research to explain that of like, you know, nutrition will also help with your ACL injury, whatever it may be, that mind-body connection is truly amazing and what you think and what you feel and how you cope with stress 
such as yoga and meditation can truly impact other parts of your health. Like, I mean, I'm just pulling stuff off the top of my head here, but lowering your heart rate, lowering your blood pressure, mind-body connection is super, super important. And those are things that fall into that category. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and pseudoscience that comes along with holistic wellness, alternative medicine, holistic health, all of that. There's a lot of different names for it. And I just want to make sure people get some good facts, get some good information. I mean, obviously, I'm going to throw in my opinion here or there based on just what I think. But for the most part, I just I want to share this kind of stuff. Um, and some things are just going to be for pure fun, like astrology, for example, there's still going to be some, some history I'll talk about with astrology and, um, the research that I find on that. But at the end of the day, a lot of people will be like, astrology is made up, Hannah. You know, I, I don't agree with that. And that's totally okay. Some topics are just for fun. You know, I'm not going to tell you to wear a crystal on your forehead. (laughs) I think that's one of the funniest sayings that I want to pin up in my future PT office of, I'm not going to tell you to wear a crystal on your forehead because when I was an undergrad, I worked with my department head, Ken, and he's so funny. He was in his sixties. He had a lot of low back pain and he wanted to start doing yoga and he was really hesitant to come to me. I was teaching yoga in undergrad and, and do yoga with me because he goes, you know, I just had this not so great experience with this yoga teacher that I tried and she wanted me to wear a crystal on my forehead. I don't want to do any of that. And I seriously laughed so hard. If if somebody has no idea what crystals are for or, or what they do, and that's just something important to you, don't push it on other people. It's so, it's so strange to me that that actually happened. And I, that's something I would never do of like, you have to put this amethyst on your forehead in order to get into a correct down dog. No. And that's, that's why I want to create this platform so that people feel like they can actually navigate this area and that they don't feel trapped in the confines of, well, now I am a patchouli smelling hippie, as my dad likes to say. He thinks if you are remotely interested in things that are hippie, you are growing your armpit hair out to your knees, you smell like patchouli oil, and you think everyone's a fascist. Like he he has his his very set mind on what he thinks that kind of stuff is. And I'm just here to to help with those around my age or even just those interested in, you know, hippie, hippie type of things, understand it better because there are always going to be people like my dad out there that are like, this is a load of crap. So let's talk about why it's not, you know, like there's a lot of benefits to it. And at the end of the day, this stuff is really interesting or you wouldn't be here listening to it. So I really am excited about this. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I actually have a plan in mind now. I think that was another thing I talked about with my therapist this week of, so I already have, I have nine pages of notes for the podcast today and I never, ever, ever took notes for my episodes previously. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a structure. I just kind of talked about whatever I felt like talking about and that's great, but it wasn't working for me towards the end, which is why I, I lost touch with it. And now I have all this information, this structure, I have sources to talk about today. And I think that'll really help us move along. And I just want to give a quick uh, explanation of how the episodes are going to work. So I'm going to start out with an intro, you know, say hi to you, like, what's going on? How am I doing? What What is, you know, the current state of affairs? Like right now, sitting on my couch, having a cup of coffee, looking at this really great rainy weather outside and, and just enjoying the day. I feel great today. I don't know how you're doing, but I hope you have a chance to reflect on how you're doing. And at the start, I'm going to ask you to just do a one minute mindful moment with me. Uh, You can totally opt out. You can skip by. It doesn't matter. But just to help us kind of recenter from whatever we're doing today and 
jump into the topic at hand. I know it's really, really easy for us to be go, go, go all the time. I would know I'm super hyper caffeinated all the time. And I want us to always start an episode having a moment to ourselves to just chill. You know, you could call this a one minute meditation or a mindful moment if you don't like that word, um, just to reset ourselves. I'm going to talk about a different topic of the week that I've researched, that I've looked at. I'm going to give you a bunch of information. We're going to talk about it. Then I'm probably just going to have an open-ended discussion at the end, um, pretending like you and I are talking. It's just me talking at my computer, but that'll include more of my opinions on things more than um, facts. And then we're going to close out with some journaling or some journal prompts. You don't have to journal. I just think it's really nice to take this information and do something with it. Um, And I highly suggest if this stuff interests you a lot, and especially if you are going into healthcare or anything revolving wellness, take some notes while you listen. You know, I have nine pages of information. I'm sure there's going to be a thing or two that you're like, oh, yeah, I should write that down or I should remember that. So try to have a journal and pen or piece of paper and pencil handy with you during these um, episodes. And if you're driving, come back to them later and write some things down. So that's how we're going to do it. You know, it's going to be as organic as I can make it. That was a big thing I used to say on the OG hippie hour of like, these are just really organic conversations. And I do want them to flow naturally, but I do also want to provide you lots of good information because you're not going to listen if I'm just sitting here talking about how I need to do laundry and how I'm stressed out. So let's just dive into it today. So we're going to begin with our one minute mindful moment. We're just going to reset and prepare ourselves for this podcast together to slough off your day, let go of any tension and just relax. So let's take a big breath through our nose. And side out. One more time. Let it out. All right. Just sit quietly wherever you're at. Relax your jaw. Relax your shoulders. Just get comfy. Close your eyes. Just focus on your breath. Inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth. Feel yourself settle in. You're here, you're present, you're not your to-do list. All of that stuff can wait. Take a moment to let your body just settle. Take another deep breath through your nose. Sigh it out. And just feel your belly expand as you inhale. Gently exhale. Try to slow it down, especially if you're really stressed out or you're anxious in any way. Just slow down that breath. All right, if you closed your eyes, you can open them up now and let's get to it. I hope that helped kind of prepare you for this episode. Again, you can always skip over that part, but here we go. So the title of this episode is What is Holistic Health and Wellness? I know that For some people, they're very well versed in this. And, you know, why would you be listening to a holistic wellness podcast if you didn't know what it is? But there's a lot to it. I learned, too, that there's a lot more than what you just think of of what it is. So I pulled this definition from Riverside Village Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. They're a holistic uh, medical clinic based in Nashville, and they have nurses on staff. They have all sorts of different healthcare practitioners, but they had a really awesome definition of a holistic health. So they said, holistic health and wellness 
is the practice of treating the whole mind, body, and spirit. While a traditional healthcare provider may seek to treat various symptoms you present with, with, <laughs> sorry, it's been a while since I've read stuff. Uh, while a traditional healthcare provider may seek to treat various symptoms you present without considering other factors which may be at play, comma, a holistic wellness provider will seek to find the root cause of your symptoms and treat all accordingly. So I really liked that. I felt like that's really important to think about that sometimes in Western medicine, the symptoms are always being treated in, let's say you have a stomach ache, so you're given Tums. And with holistic wellness, they're saying, why does your stomach hurt? What is the root cause? You know, look back in the person's history, talk to them, figure out why their stomach is hurting in the first place instead of just giving them Tums over and over Oh, it's because they have acid reflux that's being reactive to this spicy salsa that they keep eating that they really like a lot. That's kind of a funny example, but it pairs well with this definition. Also, they had on this site, what about the definition of just holistic in and of itself? So they said the holistic approach allows you to gain an understanding of how the physical spiritual, and emotional aspects of your being work together. In other words, the holistic approach focuses on the whole human body. If one part of your body isn't aligned, the rest of you will likely notice. For example, individuals with gastrointestinal problems are also at risk for developing anxiety, depression, mood disorders, and individuals with vitamin deficiencies may experience physical and mental side effects. A holistic wellness approach seeks to combine clean eating, exercise, and traditional medicine with an understanding of hormone levels, vitamin levels, gut health, and more. So that kind of ties into the example I gave about um, Tums and acid reflux. And, you know, I have acid reflux, so it's just an easy example. But let's talk about some of the common holistic wellness practices. Some of the most common holistic wellness practices include vitamins and supplements, which we'll actually touch on later, hormone therapy, essential oil therapy or aromatherapy, acupuncture or cupping, nutritional guidance, such as using food as medicine. And this can be really important populations such as diabetics and epileptics, the mind-body connection, like I mentioned at the beginning, and this is super important for physical therapy reflexology, botanical medicine, which has been around for thousands of years, breath work like meditation and yoga, sound baths and other forms of healing through sound like music therapy, human and animal connection, which I really like this. I didn't know that this was part of holistic wellness. Um, so like I have a dog named Murphy. He is turning one this Sunday. He's so sweet. He's half German shepherd, half blue healer. And I got him around the time last year that I stopped podcasting. Also, also because I was overwhelmed with him as a puppy, I think I stopped podcasting. But he has given me such a great sense of emotional wellness this last year of just being with him. He's my little companion all the time, going for walks a lot more with him, being in nature with him. I did not realize that a human-animal connection falls into the category of holistic wellness practice. So keep that in mind of, you know, being able to pet a dog or pet your cat or hang out with your little lizard friend, whatever it may be, going to see animals at the zoo, watching a, a nature thing with uh, animals on your TV, I don't know, like a programming <laughs> type of thing. Having that connection is really important for your holistic health. Um, additionally, some other wellness practices include forest bathing and healing through nature. And I'm actually going to go do a forest bathing session in a few weeks. And my friend Janali is going to come with me. So maybe we'll talk about that for an episode on forest bathing. And also psychedelic therapy falls under the category of holistic wellness, which I'll touch about later as well. Additionally, uh, there's more categorical holistic practices. So if you want to group them together into categories, this is from, oh, where did I cite this from? Uh, this is from, oh, this is still the same Riverside Village Clinic in Nashville. 
I believe. Yes. I want to make sure you guys know that I'm not just making this crap up, <laughs> that it's actually like it's out there. I did do research on it. It's not made up. I'm not, you know, being like, and then you put a stone in your pocket and then you walk around and suddenly you grew three inches overnight. No. So holistic wellness practices in a category include, there's five of them, alternative medical systems, mind-body interventions, biologically-based therapies, manipulative and body-based methods, and energy therapies. So starting from the first one. Alternative medical systems are complete systems that developed outside of the Western biomedical approach. Examples of this are traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda yoga. I I think I butchered that word. I never know how to say it. Ayurveda. Um, Also, a good way to think about this is uh, anything that might be seen as culturally different because we live in the United States and we're so used to the Western biomedical approach, just like traditional Chinese medicine might be considered, uh, considered, (laughs) uh, considered alternative medical system in a turn of, oh my gosh, I cannot talk today. I'm so sorry. In alternative medical system, this includes like anything that is culturally significant for someone's healing. Number two is mind-body interventions. So this includes behavioral, psychological, social, and spiritual approaches. Uh, A good example of this are cancer support groups and relaxation classes because that affects your mind-body connection with whatever's going on. Biologically-based therapies is number three, and that's using plants or other biological materials. So this is really common with uh, essential oils being used for aromatherapy and then herbal medicines. Number four is manipulative and body-based methods, um, which use manipulation, touch, or movement of the physical body. And examples of this include massage therapy, chiropractic therapy, and physical therapy. What do you know? It it all comes back around. Uh, No wonder I'm interested in this stuff because physical therapy can be considered part of a holistic health wellness. Uh, Number five, the last one under the category practices of holistic wellness is energy therapies. So this involves some form of energy to heal, including electromagnetic, ultrasonic, thermal, or subtle energy. So those are things that also like we use in the PT clinic. So like ultrasound, um, not for like a pregnant uh, belly, like an ultrasound for muscle. We learned about that this last spring. That's considered an energy therapy. But then there's also these other ones such as healing touch or Reiki, which I don't even know anything about Reiki. I would love to do an episode about it because it's very interesting to me and I want to learn more. Like, is it actually effective? What is there to talk about that maybe isn't true in terms of what it can do? Um, Energy therapy can be a little questionable. I think some people get confused by it. They don't understand it exactly. I know I don't understand it exactly. So we'll we'll touch base on that again in the future. Also, what's awesome is, so I said I live in Minneapolis. I go to the University of Minnesota, and there's this amazing center here. It's called the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing. Highly recommend you check it out online. They have so many free webinars on all sorts of holistic wellness, healing, all that kind of stuff. Um, And they're free for everybody. They have such a big presence here to the community of just providing alternative medicine resources and integrative therapy resources to people. So again, the name is Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing and I compiled a ton of information from them today that I wanted to share because they're very well known. They're very established. They have a lot of really credible information on their website, especially if you're just interested in learning more, go check them out. So the center here at U of M says alternative medicine, contemporary, sorry, complementary therapies. Contemporary could work, I guess. Holistic practices, natural health care, and integrative medicine are a few of the terms used nowadays to describe a wide array of healing practices that fall 
outside purely pharmaceutical or surgical treatments, which when you think about that, that's a lot of things. Some examples are massage, meditation, and acupuncture. A few years ago, complementary and alternative medicine was defined as therapies that were not taught in medical school or offered in mainstream hospitals. And this no longer applies because many of these therapies are now offered in clinics and hospitals around the country, and their use is and acceptance is growing much more. This is reflected in the new name in healthcare settings called integrative therapies. Whether you say integrative or complementary therapies or holistic practices or something else, they all essentially refer to the same thing, which is a wide array of healing practices that fall outside of that pharmaceutical or surgical treatment. For example, they say that a holistic healthcare provider might work with a diabetic patient to create a functional nutrition and exercise plan, along with providing prescriptions for insulin, because that's still very important, test strips, and other supplies. For a patient with high blood pressure, a holistic healthcare provider may prescribe lifestyle changes such as healthier diet, more exercise, and refer, refer him to refer him, her, them to a nutritionist for additional care in addition to prescribing blood pressure medications. And this statement is actually not from the center. It's from that Tennessee article. So when you think about that, they're really emphasizing that holistic doesn't mean either or. It's everything. It's not saying that if you have high blood pressure but you want to practice holistic medicine, it's not saying to stop taking your high blood pressure medication. It's saying still take it because there's so many very important things in Western medicine that people need, such as your medication. But there's also other things you can add in, such as those lifestyle changes, walking more, um, maybe getting a gut health analysis, just looking at other root causes. So when we go back to the beginning, when I talked about the definition, what are the root causes? Because many times, again, in Western medicine, the symptoms are just treated. That doesn't mean that your symptoms shouldn't still be treated because you need to control them. Your high blood pressure is a symptom of something. And it can be very dangerous and deadly if you just go off of a blood pressure medication. So continuing to combine a holistic, whole body approach to your health and wellness. That's what they're saying. Additionally, um, the Center of Spirituality uh, that I was talking about before has a point on their website that says, is it safe and effective? And I really liked this because I think some people think that alternative medicines are not safe or effective. So this is what they had to say. They said, it is very important to evaluate every part of an integrative healthcare plan, whether complementary or conventional, to determine if it's safe and effective. Safe generally means that the therapy will not cause harm or be detrimental to your health and well-being, while effective means that therapy works in the way that it is intended to work. In reality, it is nearly impossible to determine with 100% certainty whether any treatment or therapy is safe or effective for all people. So another way to look at this question is to examine the risks, benefits, and evidence. Ask the following questions and do some research to find good answers. Um, and they have some good questions on their website that you can look at for, is this safe for me? Is this effective for me? Um, and it's important, again, for you to evaluate all three risk, benefit, and evidence, and then determine if uh, the therapy that you're looking at is right for you. Whew. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of information. So let's just take a second, take a moment, pause, absorb that. If you do want to grab that journal and jot some notes down, feel free to pause the episode as well so you can take your time writing uh, and just think about, so here's, here's some questions I have for you. What is coming to mind based off of that information I just gave you? What about holistic wellness did you already know and what was new to you? What surprised you? Just take a moment to reflect on that in your head um, or journal it. Just take a moment. 
All right. Again, if you need to pause, come back, do that. But let's talk about what you actually can do to better understand your own holistic health and wellness. That means going over the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing's well-being model. And this is an excellent model if you are new to wellness in general and you just want to learn more about staying well and staying healthy. So there's six areas of well-being we'll talk about here that are in that well-being model. And this is really awesome for explaining how many different things are important to your wellness. There's six subsections of the well-being model, and those are health, purpose, relationships, community, security, and environment. So let's start with the first one, health. Health will include things such as your nutrition habits, movement and exercise that you do, your sleep patterns, how well rested you're feeling, how you manage your stress, how much stress do you have, what are your coping strategies, and then also environmental and genetic influences. So just general health things that you have that affect your health because they are, you know, in essence, part of your health. So for me, that's acid reflux. Like I can't change it. I just, I have to change my diet. I have to change my stress, but that's something most likely that's genetic that I inherited. I think. (laughs) Please don't quote me on that. I could be completely wrong. I actually don't know if acid reflux is genetic. I just know my dad has bad stomach stuff too, so I just assumed. So again, just like I had the disclaimer at the beginning, I don't know everything. I will definitely need to correct myself during this podcast because I'm not an expert. I like to know a lot of things about this area, but I'm not an expert. So let's move on to the second dimension. That's purpose. I really like this one because it's about knowing who you are. What are you here to do? And the activities you participate in can help strengthen your own understanding of who you are and what your purpose is. So, for example, what academic courses are you taking? What volunteer work do you do? What is your job? What religious groups or spirituality you have or feel connected with? Your cultural activities, student groups, studying abroad, and any other events or activities with meaning to you that help describe who you are. So for example, if you run a lot and absolutely love running and you feel like running is part of your identity, you might start calling yourself a runner because you feel this sense of purpose in the realm of running. Another way to think about purpose is what is your calling? What are you natural at? What are your natural and unique gifts? What makes you really, truly happy? Moving on to number three, that's relationships. So these are going to be your authentic connections, your respect for yourself and others, the ability to relate across multiple types of differences, skills that you may have to connect effectively in person and in online environments, and sustaining connections that are both supportive and nurturing. So this is connections with your parents or, you know, family members that you find very important to you, your friendships your significant others or partners, and pets, which was super cool that that was listed because I think that's really important to think about too. What is your relationship with your pet? Number four is community, and that embodies the sense of belonging to a neighborhood, a service group, a college, a major, a special interest group, a group of peers, or your job or career. So a good example of community that I I wrote down for this is Um, You know, you go to a yoga class consistently and it's always the same one at the same time and you recognize a lot of the people there and you start to feel this sense of belonging in this class because people say, oh, hi, Hannah, how's it going? Like, how was this last week? Haven't seen you since last yoga class and just small talk, feeling welcomed, that, that sense of belonging. That's a really good way to describe community, I think. Number five is security. So this is your sense of security and safety, whether it's on campus, in the classroom, in your neighborhood, and in your home. This could be physical, mental, and emotional safety in all of your relationships. And that's super important to think about, you know, do you have equal trust and respect? Those are really key and integral to feeling that sense of safety in in relationships. And it can also include a sense of financial stability. So if you don't feel 
financially stable, that can actually affect your sense of security, which contributes to your overall health and wellness. I didn't know that till I did more research in this area for this episode, and I thought that was really interesting. Number six, the last dimension of well-being, according to the model, is environment. So this is if you have a welcoming campus and neighborhood, if you have access to adequate housing, uh, do you have places for reflection and contemplation? Do you have access to nature? Um, You have the physical resources that you need uh, to successfully do things in your life, such as transportation, housing, food, technology, academic resources. I think a lot of people take that for granted. You know, there's plenty of people who are hurting in their environment dimension because they don't have access to what we might think are very easy things like food. You know, some people, they're missing this entire dimension altogether. Environment also includes planetary health and feeling connected to nature. And a good way that you could connect more to nature, this is just a little fun tip is called green exercise. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's simply activity in the presence of nature. And it's been found to benefit emotional well-being by improving your attention and reducing stress. So I just thought that was pretty cool. And these all sound really great, right? Like you're sitting here, you're going, oh, cool. Holistic wellness, holistic health. It it sounds pretty great, right? You know, so here comes this question that I had while I was researching all this. Why the heck does alternative medicine and holistic health seem to get such a bad rap then if it's so great, you know? So I found this really awesome article. It is a little dated from 2010 um, Psychology Today has it published on their website, and it was written by Dr. Alex Lickerman. He's MD. And a bunch of this is just direct quotes from him, okay? So he says, mainstream scientists often criticize alternative medicine as charlatanism, arguing that anything alternative that's been proven to work is in fact mainstream medicine. On the other hand, advocates of alternative medicine typically point to their personal experiences as proof of the effectiveness of many such, quote, unproven interventions. Um, And just a side note, that's actually known as confirmation bias. If you don't know what that is, it's using what you are, you know, biased in, you're expecting you want it to happen to be like, see, it works because it happened. Like, you know, I get a migraine and every time I get a migraine, I put lavender essential oil on my head and it helps um, my migraine go away. So it, it cures migraines. That's, that's confirmation bias. That's personal experience playing into your opinion, which you're trying to use as fact. He continues on to say, many people feel more comfortable using natural compounds rather than man-made ones because of a belief So not a fact, a belief that what's natural is by definition, quote, healthier and safer. But this is a very dangerous assumption because not all natural things are healthier and safer. And he made made this point and I laughed when I read it. He said, there are numerous natural compounds that are in fact poisonous, like cyanide. And just because it's natural doesn't mean it's better for you. Natural compounds that have health benefits often have a narrow therapeutic index, which means that the amount that brings benefit is only slightly less than the amount that causes toxicity, which makes it alarmingly easy for their use to cause harm. And a good example of this I didn't know um, until I read this article is called Digitalis. And this is a drug derived from the foxglove plant that's been used to treat heart failure since the late 1700s. So again, he's saying that a narrow therapeutic index means that the the beneficial amount is just below the toxic amount. So it can be very dangerous, you know, like this digitalis drug sounds like if it's been being used for heart failure since the late 1700s, it probably is beneficial, but at the same time, it can be very toxic. That's what he's making a point on. He also says both man-made and natural compounds have effects on biological systems. So nothing about natural compounds makes them more or less effective or safe. 
how confident we can be that a given compound is both effective and safe has nothing to do with where it comes from, but rather how rigorous, rigor, <laughs> rigorously it is, uh, it's effective. Oh my Lord. <laughs> Let's just start over. I, I think sometimes I get so excited to, to read what I find that I just, my, my mouth turns into marbles and I can't talk. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. so let's, let's rewind one sentence. How confident we can be that a given compound is both effective and safe has nothing to do with where it comes from, but rather with how rigorously its effectiveness and safety have been studied. So he's making a point. Things need to be studied and researched and researched and researched and researched over and over and over so that we truly believe that they are proven effective and proven safe. And it doesn't matter if it's man-made or natural for that to be the case. Dr. Lickerman says, when you're the one with the authority to recommend treatments, you take very seriously the possibility that what you could be recommending may cause harm. I'm even open to the use of interventions that haven't been proven ineffective as long as reason, there is reason to believe that they're safe. This is super important to keep in mind because things like vitamins and supplements, for the most part, do not need to be proved safe by the FDA due to the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994 or DSHEA. So this is... Jesus, this is something that I learned about in undergrad. So a lot of people don't know this and they think I'm just going to go to GNC. I'm going to buy all these supplements and vitamins because they're good for me. Well, actually, because of this um, act in 1994, uh, manufacturers and distributors of dietary supplements and dietary ingredients are prohibited from marketing products that are adulterated or misbranded. So like that seems good, right? But that means that these firms are responsible for evalu- evaluating the safety and labeling of their products before marketing to ensure they meet all the requirements of DSHEA and FDA regulations. So they're the ones evaluating safety and labeling, not the FDA. I think people don't realize that. So basically, it was a way for vitamins and supplements companies to be, you know, saying, well, we're going to self-regulate and, you know, we're not a food, so you can't regulate us, FDA. And essentially, it was a really not great thing that we learned about in undergrad that the FDA can come in later and force a company that's a vitamin or supplement company to take its product off the market if it's found to be not safe. So they don't need to prove it's safe before it goes on the market, essentially. Foods do, like foods and drugs do, because they fall under the FDA um, requirements. But somehow vitamins and supplements, because of this act, found a loophole to crawl through. So be very careful with vitamins and mineral, or not minerals, (laughs) vitamins and supplements, because not all of them are really going to do anything for you. Continuing on, Dr. Lickerman says, as more and more studies of alternative therapies are being conducted, we're discovering that many of them do work, but not necessarily for the things people believe. Acupuncture, for example, has been suggested to be effective in reducing the nausea associated with chemotherapy, but trials also show for back pain, there's a good chance it's no better than placebo. Lastly, Dr. Lickerman says that many people turn to alternative therapies because they may have had a bad experience with traditional medicine. Personal experiences can also help bolster the open-mindedness to alternative therapies, such as when his wife was pregnant with their son and feeling intense nausea, he just applied some pressure to her wrist at an acupressure site and her nausea vanished. Um, And also traditional medicine may have nothing else to offer, such as when a diagnosis is terminal. So in these cases, patients are like, what's there to lose? You know, let me just try this alternative medicine. I don't have anything else I can do with traditional medicine. So to get into my open discussion that I was talking about, we'll um, kind of tie in everything we talked about so far. And, you know, it'll have some of my opinions, but a good amount of this open discussion is very 
in line with things that are true and factual, not necessarily opinions. So this is my thought, my thoughts of why people have a hesitant view on holistic medicine and health. So firstly, there's this big, big, big ass stereotype that holistic wellness equals potheads, equals drug users, equals criminals. Um, Especially when people hear about psychedelic therapy, they get very, very hesitant or riled up about that. They think, you know, if it's illegal, it should be kept that way. And that's unfortunate because I actually just watched a really great webinar also on the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing's website. They're free webinars, you know, uh, about psychedelic therapy and how because it's been legalized in Oregon, they can finally start legally studying it and researching it. And this is really, really awesome for looking at uh, PTSD victims in particular. They have shown already with very first clinical trials of how guiding someone through a quote unquote psychedelic journey um, with whether it be psilocybin or MDMA, I believe, or DMT, uh, it can have profound and lifetime lasting effects on someone's uh, PTSD or other mental illness um, symptoms. Uh, I highly recommend you watch that webinar. I cannot say it really anything to convince you because I am not an expert in this area. I just watched the webinar and um, the woman who, I, f I forget her name, I should have included it, but the woman who did the talk, she is a integrative um, healthcare nurse who knows a lot about psychedelic therapy. So again, if we don't know the outcomes of something, we should be hesitant because we need to have research on it. But we also need to legalize things that have been found not to be harmful so that we can research them, we can understand who's maybe contraindicated for a certain therapy, who can benefit from it, like PTSD victims, especially, you know, veterans who are coming back from the war, torture victims who have intense trauma. Um, so yeah, that, that I think is unfortunately one thing that contributes to this negative or hesitant view on holistic medicine is that big stereotype that well, you're all just drug users and potheads and whatever it may be. Also, there's this unfortunate uh, kind of archaic notion of if you're into alternative therapy or medicine or health or wellness, you're part of that group of people who are, you know, like into communes and hippie communes, hippie communities. And a lot of those actually, unfortunately, became part of cults or were cults that kind of hid under the guise of communes. Um, that's another really interesting, fascinating thing I would love to talk about on the podcast, um, such as the Rajneesh Puram cult, Rajneesh Puram, Puram um, in Oregon during the 70s. And they were super, super messed up. There's a really good docuseries on Netflix about it. But what's unfortunate is that lifestyle gets tied in with um, holistic health so much. It's really unfortunate. And so people get that negative view viewpoint because they're like, well, this hippie commune out in Oregon, you know, attempted to kill people and poison people. And again, highly recommend just watching this series because I can't explain all of it on here. Um, and I think it's called Wild Wild Country. Another contributing factor is issues with the yoga community. So yoga is really really tied in with holistic health and wellness. I think a lot of people know that I taught yoga in undergrad. I am hoping to continue teaching yoga in the future. I'm not currently teaching, um, but this is something I've done a lot of um, reflection on in the last few years about how there are big issues with the yoga community in the U.S. in other um, predominantly white countries. So the first thing off the bat is whitewashing and gatekeeping of yoga. So yoga is a Indian culture thing. I, I don't even know what words am I using. Yoga is not ours. Yoga is from Indian and Hindu culture. Um, again, I could be missing that. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe it is part of both Indian and Hinduism. Um, Again, I'm not completely sure. And all of a sudden, there's this huge shift of it came to the U.S. and it was um, 
capitalized and profited and marketed and and turned into this hot young white woman activity instead of remembering that it is not inherently a um, european or uh, american thing it is from india it is from east asia it is not ours and unfortunately with yoga studios in the us especially very big corporate ones um they will charge 120 dollars a pop for a monthly membership and guess what the predominant demographic is when you go into one of those yoga studios. Also, I've worked at one of those, so I, I know. It's white. And I'm a white woman. I'm a young white woman. I'm a young white woman who uh, does yoga. I don't know if I can consider myself a hot young white woman. <laughs> so maybe I have that going for me. Um, but it's it's really sad. It's really unfortunate that this ties into the issues with with yoga and we really need to work on that that's something i really want to talk about in its own episode too of the whitewashing and white wellness culture that we have in the united states i mean even the fact that i'm doing this podcast kind of is a nod towards that i'm not going to act like i'm sitting here doing something different i i do acknowledge that i am this white woman talking about holistic health and wellness where a lot of those practices are derived from traditional um, Chinese medicine, traditional East Asian medicine. A lot of things are not from here. They're not ours. And we can appreciate them. We can use them. We can practice them. But we need to acknowledge where they're coming from. And we can't gatekeep them. We cannot be charging $120 for a monthly membership of yoga. Because guess what? There are going to be people who are not privileged enough to afford that, that are excluded from that lifestyle and who don't have access to yoga. And yoga is not meant to be profited off of. It's meant for everyone to feel welcome towards and, and feel like they have access to. That's my soapbox. But additionally, um, there's also a big uh, sexual assault scandal that goes on within the yoga community um, with teachers and students. If you don't know about this, there's a really great documentary on Netflix called um, Bikram. Uh, Like, I think it's Guru, Teacher, and Predator or something like that. So I absolutely do not support Bikram Yoga. Uh, Watch this documentary and you'll understand. Um, This is a perfect example of the male teacher and abusing sexually assaulting the female um, student who is eager to learn, who wants to know more about yoga and unfortunately falls into this um, very insidious, horrible power dynamic. And yoga can, if you watch this documentary, you'll totally understand it. Yoga can fall into that weird culty feeling sometimes too. And so unfortunately, I think people looking from the outside, they see this stuff and they go, oh, all that hippy dippy alternative medicine, holistic healing stuff is just gross and criminal and people need to be careful what they're doing. And it sucks because that is what people can sometimes think about when they think about these things. Again, highly recommend that documentary. And then lastly, with the yoga community, Another sad thing is that there's been tons of reported eating disorders and body dysmorphia that comes with yoga and just the fitness industry in general. And and people who maybe are very proactively saying like, I'm vegan and I'm vegetarian or whatever it may be, um, and I'm a yogi and I do this, uh, come out later and say they were struggling with anorexia, with bulimia, with all sorts of different things. And um those two things can be tied together, which again, um, contributes to that negative viewpoint about holistic health and wellness. Lastly, my, my part of the open discussion I wanted to share too about this is anti-vaxxers just freaking suck. Okay. They find their way, they, they nose their way into this area of holistic health and wellness and they're very misinformed and spread disinformation about um, vaccines. And I will say right off the bat, I 100% support vaccinations. I do not think vaccines 
cause autism. I know they don't because they have been proven not to. I'm, the whole article that was sent uh, around in, I think, 2000, it was taken out of publication because it was incorrect. The doctor who shared it used false information. He um, falsified his research. He did not share correct research. And that's why research always needs to be peer reviewed. It was the only article somehow pointing out that maybe vaccines and autism are linked and it got pulled. It got proven incorrect. It got proven as disinformation. And yet people are still sitting here acting like I'm not going to take the COVID-19 vaccine because, um, it's just a bunch of chemicals and we don't know what's in it and blah, blah, blah. When there's very strict procedures that go into vaccine development. I'm sorry, Karen, but lavender oil is not going to prevent you from getting COVID-19. Like, that's the one thing I find very, very irritating about this area is that the anti-vaxxers try so hard to be a part of it and they don't do their research. They, they do pseudoscience research. They find something on Facebook that they agree with confirmation bias and share it and claim that it is why they support this or support that. And I'm like sitting here actually looking at journal journal articles and, and doing the research and, and being very open to saying too, I might be wrong. There might be parts that I'm missing. And unfortunately these people are very, very, very stubborn. They do not want to be disagreed with. They, will die claiming they're anti-vaxxers. They will have it written on their grave. And it's sad because we just can't even have discussions with them. So that's the last little thing I think contributes to holistic medicine and health uh, viewpoints that are negative. Uh, so with that being said, with all this information now that you have, you have the capability to implement holistic wellness into your life without doing harm to yourself or others. And Although this is a lot of information, I absolutely still recommend you to do your own research as well to determine what strategies might be best for you. And if you have questions about it, please let me know. Like that, I'm still growing in this area. I'm still learning in this area. Uh, let's learn from each other. And let's close out our episode today by doing some journal prompts. And if you don't want a journal or you don't have a journal because you're driving or whatever, just reflect quietly in science or science. Reflect in science. Reflect quietly in silence to these three journal prompts, okay? So, grabbing that pen and paper, let's go. Jot down some notes about the well-being model, which includes six dimensions. Health, purpose, relationships, community, security, and environment. So, again, the well-being model includes six dimensions, health, purpose, relationships, community, security, and environment. Prompt number one, which dimension of those six is the most important to you for your well-being? Again, prompt number one is which dimension of those six is the most important to you for your well-being. Take a second to pause this if you need to keep writing or reflect. Prompt number two, which of your dimensions is the strongest? What are the activities you do or things in your life that make that dimension the strongest? Again, prompt number two, which of your dimensions is the strongest? What are the activities you do or things in your life that make that dimension the strongest? Again, feel free to pause if you need to. And then moving on to our last journal prompt, prompt number three, which of your dimensions is the weakest? What are the activities that you could add to your life that could make that dimension stronger. Again, prompt number three, 
which of your dimensions is the weakest? What are the activities that you could add to your life that could make it stronger? All right, we did it! Woohoo! <laughs> Episode one under our under our belt. Uh, Woohoo is mostly for me because it's been a long time coming, and I feel like I'm really turning this into what I had always wanted it to be. And I'm very excited to have you along for the ride. Um, super excited to hear your guys's thoughts, to bring new information to you. Uh, I'm gonna aim to try to post a new podcast every Friday, so keep that in mind. If anything changes, uh, that'll be up on the Instagram at hippie hour podcast. You can find me on there. Um, yeah, have a wonderful weekend guys. Do something for you. Do something for one of your dimensions of well-being and I'll catch you later. Bye. Acknowledgements for this episode are to the Earl E. Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing at the University of Minnesota, the Riverside Village Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee, Dr. Alex Lickerman from the Psychology Today's article, and the Federal Drug Administration, or the FDA, in their website. Make sure to do your own research on anything that interested you today in the podcast. If you need further resources to anything that we talked about, please give me a DM at Hippie Hour Podcast on Instagram. Talk to you soon.